Welcome to this latest edition of The Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.world together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Borsichiello, we'll talk about delivery and we'll try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector with our special guest, Faraz Nagri. But before we get on to that, John, I've thought of a couple of things over the last day or two. And the thought struck me that we both started out in jobs where we wore white coats and heated up food. I heated up food in test tubes, and I guess you heated up food in much more congenial ways. Yeah, in a kitchen. So I started my uh, career as a chef. So trained at college for three years as a chef. And uh, I can remember the first time I went into a kitchen, uh, the exec chef said to me at the time, you don't do an apron up like that, boy. You look like a sack of spud. So... They were the days where, uh, yeah, very enjoyable. Um, still cook food today, lots for my family and wife. So what about yourself, Peter? What were you doing in test tubes? Well, I, I was a food scientist. And um, in the very early days, I got very involved in a project that grew protein from mushrooms effectively. So I've had a, an involvement in that end of the sector. And I've followed it all the way through, uh, right down to restaurants and the front end in casual dining and in pubs, uh, contract catering and so on. And that's given me a huge insight into the overall power of food, if you like, the way that it is involved in so many parts of our lives. Definitely. I I really enjoy our industry that we're in. We're all in hospitality. And from when I was the chef through to did some operations front of house and now into obviously sales for Africa. I say to colleagues and customers all the time how lucky we actually are to work in this superb industry, looking after people, serving quality food, quality drinks, and the innovation that's coming through now is unbelievable. And that's what made me say about your test tubes, because some of the guys out there are really innovating products to make the menus outstanding. Absolutely right. Uh, and there's all the people in the background making everything work and customers out in the front really enjoying it. Definitely. There's a lot to be said, isn't there, for that whole world of um, group exec chef, menu innovators. For some of the dishes you see on menus now have gone far away. Even uh, I was at a brand a few weeks ago, the Alchemist, and they had a black fish and chips on the menu. So they actually use active charcoal in their batter to make it black fish. And was just things like that are amazing for me. It still gives that fear to her even today. Absolutely fantastic. Anyway, I, I think it's probably time to get the show on the road. I'm going to set the scene with some additional thoughts that we can all discuss, uh, and perhaps if you feel like it, we can pull it apart. That a problem with restaurant delivery, or is it the problem, is that until the food is delivered to my door by a guy on a bike holding a brown paper bag, I don't have a relationship with the people and the restaurant or, or the so-called kitchen that has prepared the food point where the meal arrives, my relationship with them is through a set of pictures and descriptions and prices on an app. Not totally true, or at least not always. For example, I may in fact know the restaurant, I may have eaten at it, or if it's a chain I might, might have eaten in several of them, or I may at least be aware of it. Good and bad points from what friends, acquaintances, Instagram have told me about it. But I think it's probably true that many times food is bought from an aggregator's app without knowledge, without being touched, I put that in quotes, by the brand. And that may be how it goes on forever if the restaurant is not represented by bricks and mortar. But is just a brand existing in the virtual world a virtual brand? 
would seem to me that having a relationship with a restaurant and its brand, these distant virtual circumstances make it difficult to construct an ongoing relationship. And it makes it perhaps even more difficult for the restaurant to sense when changes are needed. Uh, and you can put your money on that being necessary before long. And it makes it difficult for the restaurant to make those changes and convey them to the customer. In short, a relationship at a distance, especially for something with huge cultural resonance like food, is difficult to establish and then to develop over time. I started out by saying that it is a problem, but is it? And if it is, can it be overcome? What do you think? I've got two thoughts on it, Peter. I agree and disagree because I, I look back 20 plus years ago when everyone was ordering food locally. And when I say locally from an Indian restaurant, Chinese restaurant, they've been doing delivery for a long, long time. And is the relationship where we're there with them? Or was it just a Saturday night meal with friends, with family, with a treat? You look today and you say branded operations, so multi-site. Again, I have two small children. So getting to go out on uh, an evening or a weekend is uh, difficult for us, our babysitters. So then I can engage with uh, a well-known brand that I've used before, where they can come on an aggregator. Yes, like you say, there's not always the relationship there. But the brand standards, as long as they're met, are, are always in a good place. If we spoke to a marketer, I guess, having a marketer sat around this table with us now would put a different spin on it because they protect their brands, they protect their restaurant businesses, don't always have that at the forefront of their minds. So it's a complete mixed bag. Um, and it's interesting how we've spoke to over the last couple of episodes, different people involved in different stages in that from a supply chain to an aggregator. Like you said, we have fires on today, which is a, a complete different offering to what we've spoke about. So... Uh, I'd be interested to see what he says on it as well. Well, that seems to be a pretty good point to introduce him then. Well done. So let me just very briefly introduce you to Faraz Nagri, founder of the Lean Kitchen Network, and I think it's probably fair to describe him as a brand creator and a leading innovator. So welcome, Faraz. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Great having you around the table. John and I have been chatting about a few things. Do you have any observations, anything that you want to violently disagree with or perhaps even agree with? Um, so, yeah, I think the the point on relationship is really interesting. And I think that the way, I think you said something along the lines of difficult to build a relationship with virtual brands without having the bricks and mortar. So one thing that jumped out to me is that the way people form relationships today with brands is very different to how they were even 10 years ago. And there are many ways to build that relationship. Some of them are physical, and I'd absolutely agree. And I think that we've got some good examples of where having a physical presence of a food brand works really, really well. So for example, a brand like R. Heinz Brekkie Concept, you can also get that in some hotels. You can also get that in a bunch of workplaces across the country. Or we've got a, we've got a site, which is a large golf entertainment venue called Big Shots, where you can actually engage with the brand in real life. But then it's also just as important nowadays to have interesting collaborations, a whole social story, loads of great content and other ways of building that relationship with the customer. I think in terms of building a strong brand, we need to think about all of those things. It, would you say it's, um, or is it too naive just to say it's a question of having multiple touch points with the customer um, so that there are all sorts of different ways that the customer can react with a brand, especially nowadays with everything being available online at a distance is we're not only talking about restaurant food but practically everything 
is so uh, is it multiple touch points is that the essence of it or is that wrong i'd say that i think that's important it's one of the things one of the many things that comes to building a brand i mean even before that you need to have a really interesting usp there's so much out there at the moment and i think the first wave of if we're talking about virtual brands here was let's throw out a load of stuff and st- see what sticks and customers are savvy and kind of a lot of that has fallen away now. So I think you need a really interesting USB. And in fact, when you started talking about what you both did before and experimenting with mushrooms and fermented food and so that, that's a great example of using something that's on trend and exciting to build in as a core USP of a brand, I, I think. Um, multiple touch points, as you, as you said, but then also just being able to build a really authentic story, getting that emotional connection your customers being able to ongoing consistent product innovation and great storytelling so i think all of these things are necessary to take it from you know that first product into a real brand i see a big difference between a restaurant where you go in and you sit down and you see everybody and you you sit on the chair and you're comfortable and um all of that um and then you're served food compared with um a different relationship when it's served to you at home but there are other ways of, of creating that relationship um, that are not to do with sitting in a comfortable chair in a restaurant, but more to do with um, how you just um, perceive the brand, what other people might say about it, what the pictures say. So it's a different relationship from, from what went before. Would you think that that's um, reasonable? Yeah, if we're talking about the traditional virtual brand space, absolutely, that, that is a different relationship there is also we're seeing more and more hybrids so for example some of the brands that we'd created initially launches as purely digital brands are now available in food markets or universities or in a in a restaurant in a in a hotel or room service so you can actually go there and sit down look at the menu and get experience of that brand but all kind of as a collaboration with another kind of space and i think that's another exciting way that the industry is evolving that comes back to my point about multiple touch points so thank you definitely what you say for us obviously you expand out into let's say live locations rather than uh, development kitchens how does that get traction because when we look at delivery and if i go on to one of the aggregators now and i'll get hundreds and hundreds pop up i never know what to pick unless i fancy a a pizza let's say or some fried chicken how do you then make yourself big into that space? So in terms of building your profile online and, and winning on the delivery aggregators, there's a number of different things that you need to focus on. Firstly, food quality and rating, because it all comes back to that. Building, like some of the things we talked about, building a recognisable brand. So in our in our case, we've got brands like Twisted London, which is a partnership with Food Channel, which has got 40 million followers. So there's already some people in a local vicinity that will recognize that brand and it helps to start generating some volume or Heinz Brecky or Doritos Diner, which is a nacho bar and burrito concept that we're rolling out in universities. So I think helping link back to something that people know, love, maybe have some kind of emotional connection to, some kind of nostalgia absolutely helps. But then after that, it's all about really ensuring that the operations are right, the food arrives hot, it's it's quick. The menu's built in a way that's easy to execute. The ratings remain high. And then you you build in the right kind of promotional marketing behind it, the right kind of social media behind it. Do you feel that the uh, you get brand equity out of partners that you work with? When you, when you say the likes of Doritos and Heinz, obviously they're global brands. So 
to have them on board as a collaboration partnership, that must give you the real good touch points as well. Absolutely. I think it, it helps get that initial initial awareness up. It helps you to get the customer to trust the brand and, and try the food to begin with, but then you've got to back it up with a great product and execution. Otherwise, you know, people won't people will try it once, but if they don't come back and your return rates aren't aren't good, then there's kind of no point. Well, when you uh, have the problems, what would you say is the biggest problem you have with deliveries out of any of the brands that you actually run? What is there a problem that's consistent? Um, you say you want the quality right, you need the operations right, but does it keep coming back at something, or is that then a fix for you guys? I think the learning we've been we've been in the delivery business quite heavily since 2017, 2018, and really trying to focus on improving product, improving operations. I think the the biggest impact have been over complexity so trying to put too much complexity too much variation in processes with the best of intent and it always ends inconsistency which is which is not your friend especially when you're not able to like in the physical environment talk to that customer save them if they've had a bad experience when you're talking about delivery only the bag is gone and you're just there hoping that they've had that excellent experience so i think really working on simplifying processes so that they're scalable working on building products so that they will travel well it's all the the, the kind of obvious stuff but once you get in you know through a development process and various stages people can get excited so i think reining it back and constantly checking yourself on that front is the most important learning i'd say we've had over the years i also think it's interesting you just mentioned around the universities and the doritos concept and what you're doing there that works really well, actually. You're taking something where you know what the target market is, and that's a classic place to go. It's universities or other establishments, things that you're looking to roll out different things into different areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen that certain concepts work better in certain environments. So that's a good example of one that's really proven to work well in universities. And now we've seen with a few tests we're doing in competitive gaming, like the golf place I mentioned, that is actually a top-selling brand there. And so understanding what's the right fit for the right consumer demographic is is critical. Is it possible to have a rule book for developing a brand in this area or is it more trial and error? I think you need to have a rule book. So in terms of the, the processes you go through, the sign-offs, the, the checks and balances, absolutely. I think you do need some kind of structure. Without revealing any secrets, what, what are the, the steps? So the first step would just to be doing the research, gathering the data, understanding the market that you're aiming at, understanding the size and the potential of that, and doing a lot of homework before you even even really get started. I think it's then, as we spoke about, making sure that there's a really clear USP, the product that you're thinking or the brand that you're thinking about taking to market would fit that USP. In, in our world, we'll make sure that there is, we've got the right kind of positioning, the right brand partner to really make, to really try to build a brand that will get us to scale. And then it's the route to market. How are we going to make sure that we can get enough touch points for this brand so that does do as well as we hope it will do, it can scale. I think the final point I'll mention is that we go through a process where we'll test things with real, with real customers for a period of time before we actually try and scale and unleash those. So we, we test them in our development kitchens. We look at key metrics such as prep time and customer rating and conversion rate and repeat rates and to make sure they hit a basic benchmark before they're then ready to become something that we want to start rolling out. I mean, you're speaking as a as a marketeer, a proper process, thinking about it all. 
the restaurant industry in general is populated by people who, who don't necessarily think like that and pro- will probably try things out in the seat of their pants and so on. Would you say it's essential to have that process or can it also work well, we'll just give it a whirl and, and see what happens? I think it can absolutely work well, give it a whirl and see what happens with the right people. You know, there's some incredibly creative chefs out there who will come up with amazing products without going through the same process. I think from that perspective, absolutely. I think from our perspective, being a business that's trying to scale with large operators, we kind of need that process up front. Otherwise, we'll, um, you know, being frank, we've tried it. We've tried it the other way in the past as well. And kind of you, you learn that actually you can get, you can only get so far without having that process into when you're trying to create a business. Why also 5,000? This is just when I was doing a bit of research on um, you guys before you came on. Was If there was a, an operator out there that had a single site, couple of sites, and they're very wet lead pub, and they have this huge space at the back that used to be a kitchen back in the day when the food, it was all affordable for them. Can they get in contact with you? Is that something that you can do where, and you could work with them as a partnership? So if they were wet lead, they wanted to put some kitchen in, you could work with them? Absolutely. So uh, that is really our model where you've got a partner who's trying to drive more on-site sales, in- improve dwell time for their pub, get some more conversion through, and they've already got a kitchen in place. Typically, most of our partners already have a kitchen team in place or are able to manage a kitchen team because that's kind of important for our model. But yes, absolutely. They're the kind of people we'd want to talk to. Because I guess that, again, as you build up your different brands and your network, that gets you out into the delivery area for even more areas. So it could be somewhere where you're completely not at the moment, but actually then that puts you on the map. 100%. What we found over the years as well, it's not always the most obvious places that drive the, the most revenue. Like you look at a place like Bethnal Green, which has close to a thousand restaurants, probably more now on, on um, each of the delivery aggregators. There's a lot of competition there. Even though the pom- population density is high, still so much competition where you go out to some of the best heavily densely populated areas but where there's far less competition outside major cities in the kind of suburbs or even some more rural areas you'll find that actually they're, they're brilliant for delivery because you've got a population that through covid has now got excited about delivery starting using the apps they started to build up the number of riders in that location yet there's only x number of physical restaurants there so for us partnering with a pub or a, a hotel or something like that to bring some exciting brands to that area makes a lot of sense you know you consider the other option of a well-known brand going and building a restaurant and putting out the capex and taking the risk in that area it's just less likely to happen whereas if we can go there with it with the supply chain set up a really exciting concept and provide it with the existing capex and labor that sits with a, with a partner location, it kind of makes it far more manageable and far less res- risky for all partners involved. It's really interesting you say that. Um, we, we have a joke, most podcasts about me living in a quiet, leafy Leicestershire where there's nothing there, literally a few houses in my village. Um, Peter always has a little smoke. Jamie Barber said the same thing. He was on a couple of podcasts ago and he's got the uh, My Supper Collection, the Home Boxes kit. And he said he was really surprised as well where to start with, they thought it'd be London and Manchester and all these cities where actually there's people, for whatever reason, they have children, they can't travel into cities as much. They're actually going for this type of thing. And like you say, it opens a whole host of um, different options up to get out there. 
Yeah, without without a doubt, and we've seen it in the data. So we've had some sites. One example is um, was a branded hotel, probably about an hour outside of London, south, and uh, it was a location that we didn't interesting, but we had no idea that it would do so well. Within two weeks, it was doing ten thousand pounds of delivery sales just from one brand. And what was interesting was that customers were messaging, firstly saying, "My God, why are you here? Like this is crazy. Like really excited that you are you guys are here. Excited to have a new." very cool brand, high quality. And what they'd been used to up until that point was they said, look, we've got McDonald's, we've got KFC, we've got Subway, we've got the local Indian, but nothing else. So just to provide some variety was really exciting to that community. So on your website, you talk about food as a service. In what you've been saying up till now, have you talked about that or would you like to put a bit of flesh on those bones? Sure. So the idea of food as a service means that we will create concepts with some of the brand partners that we spoke about with big social media companies so that we know that they're proven and tried concepts and they will generate demand. We also do all of the work in the background on supply chain, ingredients, training platforms, videos, interactive video guides, SOPs, provide that service to operating partners who are trying to drive more revenue from their existing assets, whether that be on-site or delivery. The next part of the service is then how we support them. We have a team of field service consultants that will check in with them weekly. We have a scorecard. We share data with them around prep time and ratings and how how they can just drive a better business for themselves and how they can drive more profit. And then we support with marketing and everything they need from a tech integration perspective, get online, to get selling, to seamlessly integrate with their kitchen and their electronic point of sale if they want to. And so that's really the service that we provide. And that's, in a nutshell, what Food as a Service is all about. When you talk about it like that, and we've spoke to different um, businesses similar to yours, but you are completely different. And what I I can see, and credit to you guys and the team, is you've actually set up the whole package for someone. So whether it be finding that wholesale partner, the specific products for that brand, the actual using them so that brand is getting the longevity across any sites, whether it be up in Edinburgh or down in Portsmouth, the revenue from the sale. So it's a very clever business model because you are getting a whole package. But also what you find is if you have a little bit from everything for you guys and you have the costs of the offices, that's a really good business model. Where we've spoke to some people, Peter, or had discussions before is there's very heavy um, bits taken out and then all of a sudden an operator finds it impossible. So would you say also that's a success of how you've rolled this business out? I think that what we found is a is a capex light and efficient way of building and scaling a business. So I think and uh, that you know we're seeing as we're getting more and more site partners and lots more happy partners is providing a service for them, is providing some more profitability for them at a time where they frankly really need it with energy prices going up and labour and food costs all kind of pushing up. So I think for that respect, yeah, I think that, you know, I would, I would agree. This wouldn't be um, a podcast with me on it anyway if we didn't talk about COVID. And I'm just interested to know how much is your current business or how much has it depended on COVID or would it would you be where you are if it hadn't been for COVID? Funnily enough, people would assume that COVID you know, it was was a big benefit to our business. We had already launched before COVID and actually had plans to scale a large number of locations with a, a number of big operators going just before COVID kind of really hit. So actually, it was 
it was definitely derailed all of our plans as it did for the rest of the country because our model relies on the fact that there are there's excess capacity in kitchens that we want to want to fill and help drive more revenue from and i think what happened during covid is everywhere obviously closed out so we for the sites that we were operating ourselves we did see a massive spike in in demand uh, and also i think on a macro scale for the whole country it did set it did accelerate delivery awareness delivery penetration and so i think for the whole delivery industry taking a step back it was definitely something that kind of helped everyone move forward but i think we'd probably be further ahead had we not had that that period so it, it did more damage for our business i think than than good there's another side to the, the um, general mantra that everybody in delivery did well because of covid um and and it sort of points up the fact that you are if i don't get myself into trouble here you're not only in delivery you're also in restaurants and you're in brands and you're doing all these other things so delivery is an important component of what you do uh, but i guess if it was to disappear you would still be um doing things absolutely right i think the way we think about delivery is it it's an important part of the future food and beverage operating model so we're kind of trying to build that into everything that we do it's definitely a big part of our dna yet i think relying only on delivery um isn't the right approach because we're the delivery profits podcast where would you see delivery and we asked this question so it's not just you on the spot where do you see delivery going say over the next 12 to 18 months but again more long term three to five years as a business so i think consolidation and the number of brands and concepts as customers will continue to have elevated expectations they're getting higher and higher so looking for that usp looking for better quality product i think you know we're already seeing it in the us where the aggregators are clamping down on lots of mirror brands where you've got people bring up concepts which are identical and not performing well from a customer perspective not giving the customer good value or, or what they deserve i think we'll see consolidation we'll see some really continual innovation better and better food more innovative packaging more innovative menu items people moving into trends like more fermented food and things around gut health and mushrooms some of the stuff we were talking about earlier and delivery coming out from new types of locations as well like some of the places i think we we're looking at i think you'll see more of that no it's interesting because we were talking last time as well peter around these lockers in america you can get food delivered to a locker so if you know you're going to the gym you can order you come out of the gym at 7 30 the food's in the locker you take it to your girlfriend and it's done you what a great way to operate do you think that sort of thing will come to the uk absolutely in the in the right places i mean funnily enough we've just launched 700 lockers over the last two weeks and uh they're not for delivery funnily enough they they're in a in a factory where we're in a couple of factories big uh, car manufacturing factories where all of the menus are integrated into a, an in-house app they get shot out produced by the kitchens food in the hot lockers 15 minute break for the workers and they can go and collect their meal hot and ready because they just don't have the time to wait for anything else so i think we'll see lots more of that kind of innovation can you believe that we've bought another thing of delivery here so like you say for us that in a car manufacturer hot lockers the food's ordered again importantly on an app where the technology is so important to this world but we're seeing it already then another delivery point yes isn't it? it's a, a little micro delivery area absolutely i wonder whether when people make use of that uh, those lockers do they also take a food home from the locker is it produced for taking home 
too early for us to tell. I think the main, obje- the initial objective w- was to within a, a short break, but you know, people will use the technology however it makes sense for them. So if they're they're loving the the product and they decide they want to get something to go home, they could absolutely do that. This is a, an example of the world going round. It's interesting, Peter. We we talk about delivery in so many aspects and technology and. I went to the football on Saturday, and now where at the King Power Stadium, they don't serve direct from the kiosks. They have screens on the side opposite, and you can order pre-match at half-time, before half-time. You get your ticket, and you go, and you can collect your, your pint, your cup of tea, your food, and it's there. And what it's actually done is it hasn't took the queues away completely, but it's took a lot of element of queuing out, because before, you have to wait for your drinks to come, then you'd pay, and it was a process. So it's amazing, again that the screens on the wall um, is making delivery of food and drink so much quicker with technology. And uh, presumably customers are feeling more comfortable because they're not queuing, they're not likely to miss the start of the match or, or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. You can literally come down at half time, you can go and get your drink. Um, but the clever, there's a couple of clever bits in there is you can order pre-match at half time. So everyone knows that goes to a football stadium, rugby stadium, there is that real snapshot, and that comes back to your um, factory piece of it's all around windows and delivery within those windows. Well, by taking this, it, it enhances people's experience, which comes back to the people want an experience from delivery. Experience into delivery. I don't know what that word actually then becomes. Deliver experiency. Well, <laughs> something like that. We're sort of coming towards the end for us. Um, are there aspects that we haven't talked about that you think would are worthwhile mentioning either about your business or you or what we've talked about um i think this point around delivery experience is an interesting one we, we spoke about all these things around relationship and social content and all those kind of things but i think creating that experience at home is so important so again that's multiple touch points of how do you do that and the way that it feels all the packaging the way that you open up the food the way you might give feedback afterwards where you might connect with some digital content that comes on you know in a qr code so i think that's just a really important point for us to kind of hold on to as we're thinking about future of delivery and we'll see some new novel ways of creating those experiences i'm sure no definitely it's all around bringing like you say that experience what a real strong word experience of bringing i guess joy to tables across the country so we've probably come to a useful stopping point here it really is a a big thank you to faraz for taking your time out uh, of your busy schedule for us today and wish you all the very best on that a reminder that whether you're a delivery company a marketplace app a technology company a restaurant owner inventor or simply someone who loves to order takeout the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world slash thedeliveryprofits. So tune in to the next edition of The Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews, and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry. So it's goodbye from today's profits. That's me and John and Faraz.